Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 4 through 6. And these three verses, I think, uh, perhaps are the most convicting verses for the church in the entire Bible. So let's give our attention to, to reading them, and then we'll spend some time thinking about what God is announcing in His Word. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Most gracious Father, as we read your word together and spend time thinking about it together, I ask that you would strengthen us all by your spirit. Father, would you strengthen me by your spirit that I may proclaim boldly and clearly what your word says. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, I stand here as a minister in a denomination that goes all the way back to 1973. Historic. I mean, the very definition of historic. And we came out of a a group of people who who go all the way back to to when we got mad at the the powers that be in the church and we left and I get it there's all kinds of political things going on there but 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 we we divided and we came over here and we did our thing and and the group that we were mad at goes all the way back to to Henry the Eighth who started a whole new church because he wanted a divorce and the Pope wouldn't give it to him and they go all the way back to the great schism between the Eastern and the Western church. See, when we look at the reality of the church, and then we read passages like this one, it leaves us scratching our head just a little bit. When we read in these three verses... These seven different announcements of the oneness of God and His people and the gospel and all of these things. And then we look around and and we see anything but oneness. This is why I say that this is perhaps the most convicting passage for the church in the Bible. Because we simply do not do a good job of reflecting the reality that is announced here. But as we come to this passage, and and while we are going to apply it and and, and press it down, and it's going to hurt a little bit, we've got to be very careful. And we've got to recognize right at the beginning That here, in these three verses, there is no imperative statement whatsoever. 
There's no command at all. There's only the declaration of the reality of what was accomplished by Jesus Christ and its result for the people of God. And that's where we have to start. If we're going to to understand this and, and rightly apply it and think about what's going on here. So Paul announces these seven statements. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And it's very important that we see that he is announcing what actually is the case. Even though we don't reflect it very well at all. Now, that shouldn't surprise us, right? Because when we read the Bible, it's full of these kinds of declarations about the people of God. With a straight face, Paul writes to to the Corinthian church and calls them saints in the Lord. How can that possibly be? We know what was going on there. He, he called them saints and then, and, and, and then wrote about the stuff they were doing. It's like, okay, that we've got different definitions of saint, Paul. But here's what Paul's good at that sometimes we're not. Paul is very, very good at dealing with the people of God, not in light of us, but in light of Jesus Christ and what He has done. Because the reality is, who we are, what we are, is only defined by being in Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. This is why Paul, with a straight face, can introduce his letter to the Corinthians or the Ephesians or the Philippians or anybody for that matter. And call people holy. Because in Jesus Christ, the one who paid the price for our sin, the one whose blood was shed, that our sins, though they be as scarlet, may be white as snow, in Him we have been declared righteous. In Him we have been declared holy. In Him you are justified before the living God of all creation who is perfectly holy and perfectly just. That's the reality of who you are because of what Jesus has done. That's the perspective we need to have when we come to this passage. Paul is declaring what the reality is in spite of what the reality looks like. See, the the, the thing about Christians is we've never been that good at being unified. Ever. Even Paul got mad and had a breakup, a ministerial breakup that's recorded for us in the book of Acts. The guy who's writing this stuff. 
We know what happened in the Roman church. The, the Jews were kind of in charge and then they got ushered out by the, the Roman Empire and, and left the Gentiles there and then eventually they get to come back and they're super salty because the church that they used to be in charge of, the Gentiles or Gentiles are now in charge of. And they want nothing to do with that noise. The Ephesians clearly struggled with unity. This is why Paul writes this letter that is the the unity letter to them. Peter himself divides himself from the Gentiles because he's scared of the Judaizers when they come into Galatia and he refuses to eat with them. See, the people of God have never been good at reflecting this reality. But here's the amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our inability to reflect what it declares to be true about us doesn't undermine the truth of the gospel. It doesn't undermine the truth of the word of God. And in fact, it doesn't undermine the truth of what is proclaimed about us. For one simple reason. The truth of what is proclaimed about us isn't dependent on us, but on Jesus Christ. That's why Paul can write to a church struggling with unity. That's why I can declare to to a people who can only trace our roots back to 1973... A whole lot of y'all were around before that. Some of y'all buy a lot. And I can say to you with a straight face, there's one people. There's one body. Because the oneness of the people of God doesn't depend on the people of God. Now, It should be reflected in the people of God, to be sure. We'll get to that. But it doesn't depend on the people of God. See, we as the people of God are formed by the word of God, not the other way around. It's God's word declared to us. It's it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word announced that forms and shapes and grows and equips and strengthens the people of God. It's the word that forms us. Not the other way around. And it's not we who form ourselves. This isn't, this isn't like God has said, okay, here's my word and here's the model of what it's supposed to look like. Here's what I'm supposed to be able to say about all of you knuckleheads. Now, y'all stand over here and with the top to the puzzle, get the puzzle in order. That's not how this works at all. Rather, the word of God forms us. And Paul is announcing here what it forms us into. And it's a unified body of Christ. 
We see this reflected in all of the great creeds. We think about the Nicene Creed that we say the first week of every month. Oneness is repeated over and over and over in that creed. One God, one Savior, over and over. What's happening? Well, they're repeating the language that is found here. Reminding us of what it is that we actually are. We are one body. Even with those who have left us. Even with those whom we have left. We are one body. With all who are found in Jesus Christ by faith. And there's one spirit. One Holy Spirit who is at work in all believers applying to us the finished work of Christ and all the, all the, the benefits of our redemption that He has purchased by His blood. One Spirit that is at work gifting us that we might build the body of Christ up in unity. One Spirit who is convicting us of our sin. One Spirit who is illumining our hearts and minds that we can understand the Word of God. One Spirit who inspired all the biblical authors to write that we might know God's will. One Spirit. This is why it's such a tragedy when to, to bolster our flesh, we claim that one spirit is the trump card that you now can't speak to me about what I'm saying. Well, the spirit has convicted me. Or the spirit has told me, and then fill in the blank. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. We looked at what this call was last week, and in short, it's the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That There's one hope because there's one Savior in who we have been called, and He is Jesus Christ. He is the one who laid down His life for the sins of the many. He is the one who perfectly obeyed the Word of God. He is the one who God made to be sin, though He knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Whatever hope we have is all centered on Jesus Christ and nowhere else. It's all centered on what He has done. There's one Lord, one curios, one master that all of us are called to submit to. There's one faith. Jude talks about the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Despite our inability to agree on almost anything with other Christians, there is actually one content to the faith. There is a faith that we are called to believe in. Paul tells us in Corinthians that we read very often that he passed on to us what was of first importance. And then he lays out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he lived, 
that he died, that he rose again three days later. This is the most basic content of our faith. But when we get to heaven in glory, we're going to be shocked to find out that all of these other things, you know, we, we love the, in, in, what is it, in, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity, whatever silly thing we've come up with and passed down through the years to make ourselves feel better about not liking each other. Like, we're going we're gonna to find when we get to glory that all of that is gone. And that we were wrong on some things and they were wrong on some things. But we all now hold the faith perfectly, in perfect unity. One baptism. Paul here points to the fact that, uh, of what baptism actually points to. Us being united to Jesus Christ. Us being sealed up unto Him. Us being washed clean. That's the baptism that matters. I think we should baptize babies. That's why I'm a Presbyterian in part. But at the end of the day, the baptism that matters is us being baptized into Jesus Christ. Do it now, do it later. (laughs) Sprinkle a little bit of water, dunk them and hold them under, whatever. There's one baptism. And it's being baptized into Jesus Christ. And there's one God. See, this is the the, the real basis for all of this. the, The oneness of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One, not many. One. And He's overall... And through all and in all. Paul announces what is true of the church, what is true of God, what is true of the gospel, what is true of Jesus, what is true of the content of our faith, what is true of all of these things. Because this oneness that that is, is the basis for all of the imperatives that he calls us to. How can we maintain the bond, the, the spirit of unity of the spirit and the bond of peace if it doesn't already exist? How can we work for the building up of the body of Christ in, in unity if there's not already a unity that we're being built up into? See, this is the basis for all of the imperatives that come before and after about the unity of the people of God. The fact that we are actually one body. But this begs a question, doesn't it? Why is this not what we see reflected in the church? The answer is not comfortable. Very, very few. I, really, I only know of one 
denomination that's willing to actually own the silliness of their history. And that's the Anglican church. Several years ago, they ran an ad campaign that said something, they had posters that said something to the effect of, what did you expect from a church that was started by a guy who wanted a divorce? And I'm like, I mean, I get what you're saying, not the ad campaign I would have run, but at least you're being honest. At least they're being honest. They're not pretending that that they're coming from some highfalutin position of theology and that they're acting on some grand conviction like the rest of us do. And, And look, I get it. There are real theological convictions to which we need to hold. In a couple of weeks, we'll celebrate the Reformation as as this, the 31st of October, Halloween, Reformation Day, whatever you want to call it, the the day that, that Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the bulletin board in Wittenberg to announce the points of, of debate that he wanted to engage in, that, that, that was the, the spark that set the church on fire. And, and that created this, this tear in the body of Christ that led to thousands of other tears. What we need to understand though is that while there are those points of true reformation where somebody like Martin Luther was seeking to reform the church to the biblical standard, we forget that sometimes. Luther's goal was not to start a new movement. His goal was was not to create something different. His goal wasn't to break away. His goal was to actually reform, to bring the body of Christ back to the doctrines of justification, back to the authority of Scripture. And he fought for that until he was excommunicated. So while there are those those points of of true reformation, more often, I think, we see examples of separatism. Where rather than seeking to call to repentance, rather than than seeking to, to unite around the truth of the Bible, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we seek rather than that, to distance ourselves, to be unattached to and unaffected by and and, and unaccompanied with anything that we deem sinful at all. We're, We're not actually concerned a lot of times with bringing things back to what is true. But we've made ourselves churches of one. It's like we can write in in celebratory fashion like one PCA minister did an article titled Machen's Warrior Children that's calling us to think about what is it that you're mad about that that you need to be fighting for. It's why, you know, 
not quite 50 years in to this experiment we call the PCA, there's already rumblings of the denomination splitting again. And there's already some that have left to start a new denomination. Because we're not pure enough for them. And they're right. But our gospel is. Jesus is. The separatism really is nothing more than our flesh being provoked and then being indulged by us. I get it. There are real theological differences between Catholics and Protestants, between Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians. I get it. I get it. But admitting that there are real theological differences just doesn't actually explain the state of the church as it currently exists. It doesn't explain the tensions between men who profess the very same thing and exist in the very same denomination. It doesn't explain our willingness to walk away from each other. Not over theological conviction. No. We don't need that to leave. We can leave over something far, far smaller. So what's the solution then? If our flesh, if sin is the problem, and if we can say that recognizing that, oh, no, okay, I get it, there are theological differences, cool. But remember, one of the ones is that there's one faith. What's the solution? It's to hear the gospel again first. To hear what Paul is announcing here, that there is actually only one Savior, that there is actually only one faith, that, that it is actually the gospel of Jesus Christ that forms us, that it is the Spirit of Christ who is at work in us to grow us and strengthen us and shape us. That it's the Word of God that forms us and not the other way around. We start there. We start with the foundation. And if someone's not building on a different foundation, we recognize that we're together. We recognize that we're united in Jesus Christ. We recognize the oneness of all of this. 
But then there's something else that has to happen. Because we can recognize that and still divide. It's helpful if we skip down a little bit further in Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 17, and I'm just going to read several verses here. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the second step. is to recognize that while we may stand in Jesus Christ, while we may be Christians, while we may have learned Jesus, been taught the gospel, and rightly believed it, still, we are capable of acting in the corruption of our flesh and often do to the end that we divide ourselves against each other. See, the divisions that exist within the church are our factions that we form, our, our willingness to walk away from each other isn't a reflection of the untruth of the gospel. It's a reflection of the reality that our flesh, our flesh is still fighting and must be put to death and must be put off. It's a reflection that what Paul says about us can be true and our flesh still be alive. And so we must, with the Spirit's help, put it to death and put it off and put on the new self, which Paul tells us is being created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we find ourselves so ready to divide, so ready to castigate, so, so ready to judge, so ready to condemn, We need to come back to the gospel. Hear what is true. And then ask, am I walking in light of that? Am I walking in step with that? Or 
without denying our Christianness, am I walking in the flesh and simply looking for an expression of Christianity that better conforms to my flesh? Repentance is what it calls for. Faith is how we get there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's horribly convicting. Because we find so often, even in our own selves, more division than is reflected in your word. Teach us, Father, to believe the gospel. To believe that you really have created one people. That we might better reflect what is actually true of us. Help us by your spirit to put off our flesh. that we might walk in unity with all those with whom we are united in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.